Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Well, good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors here. I get to lead alongside of my wife, Lee. We're glad that you're with us, whether you're in the room or you're engaging online. Okay, I, I want a little bit of audience uh, participation. Okay, anyone in here a reader? They love reading. Okay, love reading. Anyone in here go, I am not into reading. Okay, a few of us. Okay, I love reading. Lee is turning into more of a reader. And it becomes a, a funny thing because, like, my love language is books, and I have a full bookshelf full of books and then a bunch of boxes downstairs filled with books. Like, I'm excited to be one of those guys that has a study, and it'll just be wall-to-wall books. And, and it drives Lee nuts, like, where she's like, do you really need more books? And I'm like, Yes. She's like, can you get those ones digitally? I go, no, because four people read this book. No one cares about it. And I, I love reading books, and I'm constantly learning. One of the things that I love learning about is I love learning about leadership. One of the authors that I especially like, his name is Simon Sinek. Maybe you've heard of him. He has a book called Start With Why that's brilliant. But there's another book that he has that is called Leaders Eat Last. Leaders Eat Last. And it, it is a phenomenal book. And, and the thesis, the central idea of the book is this idea that we sacrifice, as leaders, we sacrifice for the sake of others. This book was written in 2014, and when it came out, people are going, that is such an amazing idea and thought. But like he often does, Jesus has talked about that and modeled that 2,000 years previous. Jesus lives out this life where that reality is true. And so Simon Sinek, in his brilliance, brings an idea that Jesus long before was embodying. I want to spend some time and I want to look at a passage where we see elements of Jesus speaking about that. But before we do, I want to pray for us. God, I pray that in these moments, that it would be your words, not mine. God, I love scripture. I love that you remind us that your word is alive and that your word will cut to the, the root of us, that your words will expose things and, and heal us and restore us and align us on what matters. God, I pray that in these moments that you would be the one that speaks, that you would use what you are saying to whisper to each one of us. You see each one of us. You know where we are at. You know what we walked in with. God, I pray that, that you would move. God, we need you and I need you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. I want to look at Luke 22, 24 to 27. Luke 22, 24 to 27. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says this. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. 
Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. Now, just to, to help us to understand even what got us to this point, as a, as a church, we're going through this series called The Way of Jesus, where we're working through Luke chapter by chapter. And the reality of that is that there's parts that we can hit and parts that we miss. And so we're in this middle part of Luke 22, and you're going, okay, what brought us here? Well, first, I want you to understand that, that when it talks at the beginning about then they began to argue, it's talking about people called the disciples, Jesus had a group of people, but of that group, a larger group of people, there were 12 guys that he called in close. 12 guys called the disciples that lived life with him, that saw everything behind the scenes. And so Jesus is with those disciples, and they're having the, they just have had the Last Supper. So maybe you're familiar even with the imagery, the painting of the Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. And this has just happened. They've done communion together, that this has been a significant moment, and Jesus is preparing the disciples for what comes next. He's warning them about what's going to happen. He's giving them some insight. This is significant. As he speaks and the disciples are listening, this is a, a, a massive moment. Jesus tells them that someone's going to betray him, someone from the disciples. And I can just imagine, because they start to argue, like, I would never do that. And I imagine all of them are looking at each other like, I can't even believe this, except for Judas, who ends up betraying him, spoiler alert. And Judas is like, yeah, I don't mean either. I would never, as like the money's jangling in his pocket, he's like, I would never, I would never do anything like that. And so Jesus is sharing that this all has to happen, that Jesus has to be betrayed. This is part of the deal, that Jesus has to die. This is, this is part of how God is at work, and this is the plans and purposes that he has. And after arguing about this, so the disciples are arguing, and they're saying, like, I would, we would never betray Jesus. What is their next move? They get into an argument, and they begin to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Who would be the greatest? So Jesus has just dropped all these bombs. Like, okay, they, they did communion, which is they drink the wine that is his blood and eat the bread, which is his body. That's its own thing. And then he's like, uh, one of you is going to betray me and I need to die. And what do they do? They start arguing with each other. But who's going to be the greatest? Like, listen, we know you're going to die, but like... Do I get, like, a, a good position? Do I, do, I, do I get influence here? Like, is this going to work out to my benefit? They were so concerned about position and influence. And we see this in the disciples consistently. And it's so easy for us to look at the disciples in 2022 and go, like, oh, what idiots. I can't believe it. But the truth is, this is a struggle for many of us. That we hear all the things that Jesus are saying, and there's this kind of selective hearing. It's so interesting to me that Jesus is sharing all of this fascinating and meaningful stuff, and, and they're thinking about something completely different. You ever have a conversation with someone where you know very clearly they are not hearing what you're saying? 
Like, I, I have it. Certainly as I speak, I've had times where people come up to me, and it's encouraging when someone's like, I feel like I, I heard you say this, and I need to do it. And there are lots of times that you go, okay, clearly the Holy Spirit has been moving. Sometimes people bring up things that I didn't say. They're like, when you said that one thing, and I was like, I know I didn't say that. I know, and sometimes it's really good. Sometimes I'm like, wow, God is whispering. Sometimes it's not good. Sometimes people say stuff, and I'm like, I would never say that. Don't tell people I said that, please. We've all been in scenarios where we're saying something to people, and it's like they're hearing something completely different. Like, it's the challenge of control of communication, where we can't control how people hear what we're saying. And so Jesus is speaking to these disciples. He spent three years with these guys. They know him. They know his heart. And yet they are fixated and focused on the wrong thing. This is the tendency we have as Christians, if we're not careful, to focus on the wrong thing. To hear selectively what Jesus is trying to say. And so they're arguing, who's going to be the greatest of us? Who gets to be The greatest, and Jesus cuts right to the heart, and Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. So the disciples are speaking of greatness, and Jesus uses it as an opportunity to speak about greatness, to speak about power, to reframe their understanding and our understanding of Power. Jesus paints the picture of the world, the current moment, and the people that are in positions of power, the tendency of people that are in positions of power. He speaks of kings and great men who lord power over their people. Those who tend to have positions of power, those who are in places of influence, tend to be really focused even on the titles that are bestowed on them. They tend to value how other people respond to them publicly and communicate about them. Oftentimes we see through all of history people in positions of power bestowing themselves with these titles of significance that that make this person feel more important than they really are. And it's really easy in this because it talks about They call themselves friends of the people. And it's easy for us to look at any of this as Jesus is talking about people in positions of power and immediately go to politics. And there's a component of that. People in politics or people that that are incredibly wealthy and powerful and we can look at that group of people and And we can see them as the one that holds the most power. But the truth is, with the advent of the internet and social media, power has shifted. Suddenly, it's not just about a few voices that have all the attention. It's about many different voices that, over time, can capture influence and power and, quote-unquote, greatness. We see people all around us. Even when you think about social media or YouTube, we see people that are influential, that hold power, who there's a degree that you kind of look and go, how did they get here? Why are people wondering what they think about Take Your Pick? It's because they uploaded some YouTube videos when they were 14 and they blew up and suddenly they have significance and power and titles. We think about even the, the example that Jesus gives where the people in power are told or are given the title of friends of the people and, and uh, It could definitely be that 
he's speaking about a political figure who, who over-promises and under-delivers, which is kind of what we get used to in politics. They campaign, regardless of what you think or how you vote, people campaign and they go, we're going to change everything in the next four years, or we're going to change everything in the next six months, and then we learn over time that generally people don't do all the things they say they're going to do in the time that they say they're going to do things. And so we put all this hope in these people. They are going to be our savior. They are going to fix everything only to realize they are human beings in a very dysfunctional system. Or you think about a, a social media influencer or a YouTuber and, and someone that's built their platform on good intentions. They come in and they, they want to make a difference. They want to help people. They want to get their message out. And it starts really positively. And then so often you see it go off the rails where it becomes about just building a platform at any cost. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what happens along the way. And I, I don't know if you pay careful attention to it, but then you get to this point where someone builds this massive following and then they just start selling products to everyone. They're like, you want to be like me? Buy my program. You want to look like me? Get my makeup. You want to you be healthy like me? Get my protein powder. Guys or girls, all these things. And you're like, and it becomes this, this shift of going, um, I actually don't want to benefit people. I, I want to be benefited. And sometimes it starts really well. And even if you've ever paid attention to the like false authenticity, like I'm like you. See, my house is a mess. And they show a video touring the house, and there's like two color-coordinated shirts on the ground. And you're like, that's not a mess. Like, I'm pretty sure my kid has pee on the floor. And you're like, look at me, I have two beige shirts. This is so messy. They're almost folded. Like this false authenticity. And they're like, no, I'm like you. And you're like, you live in a $10 million mansion. They're like, I know, but I'm like you. You're like, you have 17 cars. Like there's this disconnect and so we see people and, and that's not to say that people that have influence are bad. That's not to say that influential people are, are inherently bad. It, it is, however, to say that we need to pay attention to the people that we have around us that do represent influence, greatness, power. The people that are around us that are, are trying, are they, are they doing it for our benefit or for their own? And you think about Jesus' disciples, and it's the same thing that humanity continues to go through, where there's a degree of wanting priority, like to be treated as something different. Jesus' disciples want a special seat. I, I, want, I want priority seating. I, I want to be in a position of significance. I want to know that I'm valued externally. Jesus' disciples wanted the extra perks, which, like, when you really think about it, doesn't work out so well, because it's like, so we're following a guy who's going to die. Can we be with you? Like, it seems to be a flawed argument, like, to die too? Like, well, no, 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 we just want the special seat. We just want to know we're in a position of influence. We just want to know that we are important. And we see in the disciples, and we see in us, and we see in influencers and all along, our tendency as human beings is to rank each other, is to figure out, where do I fit? I'm a little bit better than that person. I'm not quite as significant as that person. 
happens in the church where we do it morally. We're like, I'm, I'm not as much of a heathen as this person. Oh, man, they're a mess. But I'm not as good as this person. They're really close to Jesus. It happens outside. I'm not quite, I don't make enough money to be here, but I'm not quite. And, you, and we rank and compare. We put people in categories. This is the tendency that humanity has and has continued to have. And so often the, the fight for power is about getting to this place where we can influence things to our favor. If I can just get in power, if I can just have power, then I can change how we rank people so I rank higher. I can be there. I can somehow be more significant and more important. I can look down on others. The culture of the world is to get power and to wield it for our own benefit. But is that the way of Jesus? I mean, we see it all around us, politically, ideologically. We see people that just want to get, they want to get the microphone and the platform so that they can shift things to their benefit. Is that the way of Jesus? Is power the goal of following Jesus? And do we treat influence and greatness in the same world way as the world does? Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But here's the line. But among you, it will be different. Among you, followers of the way of Jesus, it will be different. And if we try to organize If we try to to put ourselves in a position where we emphasize our own importance for our own benefit, we are in step with culture and out of step with the way of Jesus. If it's all about us and and elevating ourselves and being increasingly more self-important and self-indulgent, we are in step with culture and out of step with the way of Jesus. This is not the way of Jesus. Jesus tells us among you, it will be different. It will be different. Among followers of the way of Jesus, it will be different. If you're in the room or you're engaging online and you would say, I've given my life to Jesus. I want to be an apprentice to him. I want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what he did. We need to look different We need to be different to what we see as the dominant cultural narrative. And we look at what Jesus says and how he defines greatness in this context of what it will look like to be different. And he says, those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Now, if we look at this through our eyes of 2022, we're going... That doesn't make sense. So the person with the highest rank should get the lowest rank? This speaks to one of the theological center points of the kingdom of God. God's rule and reign is it's an upside-down kingdom. So much of what God says and Jesus says is opposite to what we think it should be. This is why he says things like the last will be first. The weak will be strong. The foolish will will be showing wisdom 
And you look at that and go, that doesn't make any sense. And yet if you look at the pattern of Scripture and the disciples, we see it continue to be true. God does not function like we do. This is an opposition, in opposition to what we see in the world, where we elevate certain things and God goes, no, 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 you're getting it wrong. You don't see like I see it. You are building your ideas and temples in your image, not in mine. One of the most significant things that, that, that we're reminded of is that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Now, outside of the church, that doesn't make sense. You go... How does power, how is someone powerful when they are weak? And yet that is the way of Jesus. God represents an upside down kingdom. So when Jesus is speaking of, of this, this natural part where it is counterintuitive and countercultural, it's supposed to be like that. It's supposed to create some cognitive dissonance where we're going like, how does that work? That's the beauty because we try to function as humans like we have it all figured out. And God says, the way that you're trying to do things is not my way and is not working. And so when we follow Jesus, it's not just about adhering to a couple of things. It's a completely new way of living. The way of Jesus does not fit neatly into one political or ideological group. The way of Jesus is different than everything else. It's not an add-on. It's not something that is supposed to just make you feel nice. It instead is a completely new way of living that is countercultural to everything that we see around us and yet the way of human flourishing. Completely different way of life. This is why we talk about the way of Jesus. It's not just a set of beliefs that you need to have. It needs to permeate your entire life. That's why we use the language of apprenticeship to Jesus. Because an apprentice is sitting under someone learning and becoming more and more like them. This is the invitation for those of us that are followers of the way of Jesus. It is not for us to put Jesus and add him onto the things that we want. It is about allowing him to change the way we think and live. And in verse 27, Jesus says, who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? He's causing the disciples to, to reflect. Okay, who's the most important? The person who's sitting at the table or the one who is serving? Who's the one with most, the most value? Who is the greatest? And he doesn't even really give them a chance to answer. He says, the one who sits at the, at the table, of course. Like, we all know that. The, the important person is not the one serving, it's the person who is being served. That's the cultural narrative. But then he flips the script. And he says, but not here. Not here. For I am among you as one who serves. Among you it will be different. Not here where we value the person that sits at the table over the person who serves. That, that is not the way of Jesus. That is not the community that Jesus is trying to build. The person sitting at the table is like the consumer. And they're going, oh, what do you bring to me? Bring me what I want and I ordered. But instead, we are not consumers as followers of the way. We're not consumers. We are servants. That our posture is that of a servant. I want you to even go back to the idea of power that Jesus is 
speaking to. And when we think about power, and we think about what the goal is of power, so often the goal was when we get power, we try to keep the power, try to hold on to the power. And we see this in our world over the last couple of years, people that try to get influence and get power, and very rarely do we see people wielding that power in a way that helps people. Generally, we've seen people use it to demean and diminish people that didn't look like them, think like them, believe like them. We see this human tendency to take this position of power and to use it to to tear down other people. But this is not the way of Jesus. In the way of Jesus, we use our power for the sake of others. We use our power to serve others. Others, Because the one who is the greatest in the kingdom is not the one who is sitting in a position of power. The one who is the greatest is the one who is serving others. And the reminder for us as the church is we don't just serve the people that think like us, agree with us, look like us. We serve people because all people are valuable and loved by God. We get to serve everyone We don't get to determine, you know what, I'll serve this group of people who look like me, think like me, believe like me. We look at everyone and go, all of the people that are around us, we have the opportunity to serve. At Collective, as followers of the way of Jesus, we are not consumers, we are servant leaders. All of us are servant leaders. And I know some of you are like, okay, leader. As soon as you say a leader, I'm like, I'm not a leader. I don't lead, I don't have people, and, and I want to I reframe that completely, because I just, I, I want to let you know that if you think, like, I'm not a leader, uh, that you're wrong. Leadership has been defined as, leadership is influence. All of us, every single one of us has influence with people. Maybe you're a parent, you're leading your kids, you're influencing your kids, You spend time with other parents and you get to influence them as you're trying to figure out how do we do this parenting things and hopefully not screw up our children, right? If if you work somewhere, you get to influence your coworkers and you influence the people that report to you or, or you influence even up the people that you report to. If you're a teacher, you get to influence and lead your children, the people that are there in your care learning from you. All of us are leaders in different areas. And if we are followers of the way of Jesus, we are not just leaders, we are servant leaders. We, we get this so twisted, and I think for us to understand that in those positions of influence, we have the opportunity to serve. And I think about why are we so obsessed with whether it's power or influence or greatness. We hope that someone outside of ourselves will tell us that we're valuable. We spend so much time and energy trying to get that. We buy stuff we can't afford just so other people can go, wow, I wish I had what you had. We post things on social media hoping that enough people will respond to it so we can go, I'm good enough, I'm a value because I got enough likes. 
We do all sorts of things, and we, we work jobs that we hate to buy stuff that we don't need because we just go, if I can just do enough and fill the gap that I have in my life, then I'll feel valuable. There's this intrinsic part of us as human beings that go, I, I just need something outside of myself to tell me that I am good enough. And so for some people, it's power. If I can just get into a position where people go, what do you want us to do? Then I will feel valuable. Then I will know that I am good, of, good enough. But the problem is that consistently along the way, that none of that adds real meaning to our lives. It's like a mirage, and we get there, and then it's just more, 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 more. And as followers of the way of Jesus, we are different Our value doesn't come from the stuff that we own or what people say about us. Our value comes from God. Our value comes from Jesus who gave his life for us and he tells us who we are. This is what anchors us. And so we're able to serve because we're not trying to get power because we're not trying to prove anything to anyone. We're serving because we already know who we are and we are invited to serve. We are reminded of who we are. We are sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. And he saw us. We sang the song about reckless love. He went to all lengths to remind us who we are. He gave his life for us when we least deserved it. And we get to serve others because he served us. And we don't do it to try to prove anything. We do it because we know who we are. And we do it out of the fact that we know that we are loved by God more than we could ever imagine. And so we serve. We are not consumers. We are servant leaders. And even just think about Jesus as our example Jesus had significant momentum, he had significant influence, he had significant power. He had a group of people, everywhere he'd go, that would hear about miracles and be going like, I, I, want, I want more of that, I want what you have, I, I, I want to follow, and he'd retreat to be with God. And at the end of it, as he had all this momentum to the point that the Roman government wanted to kill him, what did he do with it? What did he do with all the power? He laid it down willingly. He surrendered that to serve humanity. He gave his life for every single person. And like we are invited to do, he served, gave his life for his friends and for his enemies. Like he actually is up on the cross and these people are murdering him and he's going, Father, forgive them. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Does that look like how we see power in 2022? No. Because if we can just get a loud enough voice, if we can just be in a position of influence, we got to trash everyone who's not like us. That is not the way of Jesus who serves and gives his life for the people that, are, that, that know him and the people that are yet to know him. The people that mean him harm and the people that are with him. Jesus' definition of greatness and of power goes against all the ideological paradigms and, and political statements that we see. This is a different way of life. And as Christians, we must never allow the world to define greatness for us when Jesus already has. 
if we search for greatness as we have been told that we'll find it, like if we look around us, we just see train wrecks and people that are searching for something to tell them who they are and it ruins their life. This is not the way of Jesus. He is modeled a different way. We lay down our life and then we serve others. I mentioned the Simon Sinek book at the very beginning, Leaders Eat Last, and Simon Sinek was talking a little bit about Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, I hadn't had much experience with Alcoholics Anonymous, and then I, I had a friend that, that was a recovering alcoholic, and I got to go to his birthday party at a, a meeting, and it was transformative for me. It was powerful. And Simon Sinek talks a little bit about the 12-step program that AA uses for people that are trying to recover from alcoholism. And there's, there's 12 steps, and the, the final step, so you've walked through all 11 steps, and the 12th step is to commit to helping others to overcome addiction. So the goal of the 12 steps is not to get to the end and go, I'm good, I'm better, moving on with my life. The goal of, of healing through alcoholism and recovering through alcoholism is to turn around and what? Help someone else. This is a powerful, powerful reminder because it's very similar with faith. We don't experience transformation with Jesus and go, well, that was it. On to heaven. When's it coming? Let's just speed it up here. Let's get... No, we are responsible to do something about the people that don't yet know him. That we are not served so that we can be served. We are served so that we can serve others. This is the invitation for those of us that follow Jesus. And if you miss out on this, you miss out on the greatest part. The greatest part is not somehow just getting, knowing who God says you are and then, and then living in that only. The greatest part is when you can help someone else discover who they are. And when someone else goes, that's what I've been looking for my entire life. At Collective, we have five values and our values are our guiding principles. One of our values is passion. I don't know if you can tell by the way that I speak. And we say this value, passion, like this. It can't just be about us. We will never feel more alive than when we help someone else find life in Jesus. The message of Jesus is the most compelling story of humanity. And we will live like it matters. This has to guide what we do. This is who we are. And Jesus is calling us to more. Not just saying, oh yeah, okay, we're supposed to be servant leaders serving others. To actually do it. To actually let that impact our life. He tells his disciples and he tells us, among you it will be different. The church should look different. Like a city on a hill, we are supposed to stand out as something different, to be counterculture, to be countercultural. And so often as the church, we're like, well, we just look like everyone else. And you go, that's not what we're called to do. When the world says, this is what greatness looks like, it's to elevate yourself. And Jesus says, this is what greatness looks like. It's to get on your knees and to serve someone else. What do we do? We follow his way of life. Jesus speaks about the folly of selfish ambition, self-focus, living a life that is only about 
us. This is not the way of Jesus. And if you are looking for influence in your life and you're doing it for your own benefit and you're going, I just want more and more influence to build my own platform and to make it all about me, this is not the way of Jesus. And you'll miss out on the kind of life that Jesus is inviting you to experience. And what I know to be true about the church is that we can know this intellectually and go, okay, I'm going to serve. I want to get involved. And we can serve and do the task without the, the change of our heart along the way. And so serving is not just about doing a task. A servant leader isn't someone that just does things because they do it so that they mark it off and go, this week I was a servant leader. Instead, it's about the heart behind it, the servant's heart. Our hot heart posture matters as we are serving others. There was a guy who was involved at Collective, and he helped start the church. And early on, I was meeting up for coffee with all sorts of strangers, which is like, it went sideways a couple times. Because we're like, we just want to meet anyone we can and see where it goes. And so I met up with him, and I had looked him up online before, which is always a good sign. <laughs> like, just to get a sense. And one of the things that I saw is that he had graduated from Tyndale with a master's degree. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to have a good conversation. And I, I ask him, so what do, you, what do you think about getting involved? What are you thinking? And he's like, I just want to help wherever I can. And I'm like, I know. It's like, and he's like, if, if it means cleaning the floors, cleaning the toilets, like I just want to serve. You know what that does? I go, how do we get you involved? How, come be part of And so when he eventually got a vocational job as a pastor, like, I was on the phone with him cheering him on because his attitude was a servant heart. He was a servant leader. He was not trying to get influence. He wasn't trying to get other people to tell him that he was good enough by serving on the stage or the platform. He was serving in whatever way was helpful. He just wanted to serve where it was needed. Here's the reality. We want each person who's part of Collective to find their fit. We want you to get involved in a team and to, to use your gifts. But if your attitude is that you just want to do it for you so you can get a pat on the back and go, well, I did my thing, I checked the box, it's going to be a, a folly. It's, it's not going to end in, in positive things. Instead, if your attitude is going, I want to use my gifts, but I'm willing to, to use the gifts that God's given me in whatever way he wants to use it, and I just want to serve, that's like a magnet for people. Like when people just have this attitude that's like, I'll do whatever I need to do. This is the thing that I love so much about our team. Like if you've been around for any length of time, you, you've seen Joel who will come up here and, and he's, doing, he's doing giving and he does so much behind the scenes and, and so much on the executive side. But then last Sunday, Joel was doing sound at the back. Why? Because Joel's going, I just want to serve however I can. My heart is to serve the church. My heart is to do what God is asking me to do. This is what it looks like to live in a way that is other-centered, to, to not just do things for our own benefit, but for the sake of others. The antidote to a culture of self-centeredness is servant-centeredness. It's us embracing our responsibility as servant leaders. At Collective Church, we are not consumers. We are servant leaders. 
This is the way of Jesus. And you might be hearing some of that and going, what does that look like? Well, one of the things that we do is something called Next Steps. So if you walked in or if you are looking, there's, there's a banner that says Next Steps out in our lobby. And part of the responsibility or the role of that is to create a, a system for people to go, I want to get involved. What does that look like? And to begin that process. And one of the things that we do with, with our onboarding for people that are new that we've we started that has been significant is we ask people to come and help us set up at 7.30. Now, I don't know what you think, but 7.30 is early to be lugging stuff around. Well, part of that is strategic because we want to see what are people like. Are they reliable? Are they consistent? What's their attitude like in the morning? Like, have you ever been around someone that you, they don't have to tell you they're not a morning person? Right? You're around them and you're like, you're just a jerk. Like, I, we don't, like, here's the truth. We don't really want those people involved in our team because it's like we have this great environment. We want to serve each other and care for each other and do what God's asking us to do. And so some of that process helps us to, to learn about people, to see what's in them. But we want to give people opportunities to get more and more involved, to figure out what does it look like to take my next step. But I want you to know that the heart behind it is never just about doing a job or a task. It is to be servant leaders that are willing to steward what we have and do what God is asking us to look like. I want to highlight a couple of people. And I don't know, where, where's, where's Colton and Alicia? Where are they? They were... Yeah, okay, okay, Perfect. Okay, just do, do a little wave, just a wave, yeah. Okay, Colton is on the camera, Alicia's over there. I know, I was looking for the two of you together, so I think it threw me. Okay, Colton and Alicia, and, and I'm highlighting one part of our team. If, if you go through our whole team, this is the attitude, and this is what I love so much, but I'll highlight them because I can. Um, Colton and Alicia drive an hour. They drive an hour, and they come for 7.30. Sometimes, so I'm, I pull the trailer, and sometimes they're the first ones there. They come at 7.30, they serve, they have a phenomenal attitude, and they consistently get pulled in different directions. Colton will have a Sunday that he's not scheduled, and Peter's like, hey, can you run a camera? He's like, sure. Like, his attitude is that of serving. And both of them exemplify what it looks like to be a servant leader. They're not doing it to try to get attention. They're not doing it to try to fill some void in their life. They go, this is what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus, and when you spend time with people like Colton and Alicia or people on the team, you go, this is what I want. This is why we're supposed to look different. And so here would be my encouragement. If you're on the fence of going like, well, I don't know if I want to get involved. I asked just before the service if Colton and Alicia would join a couple of the team at Next Steps. And what I would encourage you, because they, no, they don't need to lie to you. They'll tell you the truth. Ask them why. Why do you drive an hour? Why do you come early? Why do you stay late? Why do you serve? Don't just take my word for it or, frankly, even Jesus' words for it. You can listen to other people that have experienced what this actually looks like. And then ask them if it's improved their life. Ask them if it's had a positive effect on their life. We got to spend some time with Colton and Alicia, and they came to Collective last summer. They had been listening online and, uh, and they both were like, if we're going to come here, uh, we recognize we need to have a commitment to grow. 
which is encouraging for me because I'm like, that is so much a part of who we are. And they went, we want to grow. We want to commit. We aren't consumers. We're servant leaders. This is the church. This is what collective is built on. This is the way of Jesus. See, I want to let you know that we don't just serve because we're supposed to, because someone said it. We serve because the God of the universe sent his son to live a perfect life because we couldn't do it. And the reality is that our brokenness and our sin separates us from God. The only person outside of us that can tell us who we really are. God sent his son, lived a perfect life, and he died on a cross for us. We sang the song, Reckless Love. It does not make sense that God would send his son to die for us. We are a mess, and yet he does. Why? To restore our relationship back to him. This is the invitation that we have. And so we serve because Jesus ultimately served us with his life. And if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus with your entire life, I want to give you an opportunity to do so. I'd love to encourage you to fill out a connect card or come talk to one of us and let us know. We're going to have the prayer team that's going to be off to the side at the front. And if you need prayer or you've made the decision to follow Jesus, come and talk to them. For the rest of us that are Jesus followers, I want to remind you, we are not consumers. We are servant leaders. And let me just clarify, that's not just for us to pull off church on a Sunday. All of us are servant leaders in every single area of our life, every single day. We have the opportunity to present a counter-narrative to the world. As followers of the way of Jesus, we have an opportunity for people to go, this is different. This looks different. What does it look like for me to embrace that way of life? The truth is that God is at work, and God wants to use you. And so fight, fight the tendency to think that power, the goal of power or influence is for your own benefit and instead follow the way of Jesus who takes that power and lays it down for the service of others. I want to invite you to stand and I want to pray for us and then let's worship. God, I am so grateful that you call us into a way of life that is not about just simply consuming or spectating, but instead contending for people and serving them. God, I'm thankful for every single person on this team that serves, does it for you and does it for other people. God, I pray for the people that are going to get involved in the church that you are building. In each one of us, God, would you change us Would you draw us closer? I pray that even in these next few moments that you would speak. If there's something that you said through me that you want people to hear, God, I pray that you would make it reverberate in their mind. They would be captured by what you are trying to say and get their attention with. God, I pray that as a community, we would look different. Among us, it will be different. Let us never settle for less. May we be the kind of community that reflects you on an ongoing basis. God, confront us where we need to be confronted. Confront us. Show us where we are, where we are moving in the direction that you want us to move. God, fill us with your presence. Move in our midst with your love. God, as we work through this last bit of Luke...
Would you speak to us? Not just on a Sunday, but every single day through the week, would you change us? God, we want to be transformed by your words, not conformed by the world. God, have your way. As we worship, we lift our eyes to you. We sing in response to who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday.